Tov, today's daf is Chaf, and we um, are just walking our way through the Sota ceremony, and we discussed the uh, Mincha and the sort of uh, what that was made out of. We discussed the writing of the Megillah and the ink and the parchment and when it was written, only after she took the Shrua. Interestingly, the Mishnah completely dropped mentioning the Shrua, but anyway, um, and then the uh, scraping of it into the water. Then we had this whole major debate, which is, okay, which comes first, the drinking of the water or the bringing of the Mincha, dealing with the ambiguity, very, very uh, obvious ambiguity in the Psukim, that the Psukim first described the drinking, and then the Mincha, and then they say, So we had a whole debate in terms of that, in terms of what order it was. But anyway, let's now move to the actual drinking. I mean, whether in the Halacha, it's the drinking and then the Mincha, or the Mincha and then the drinking, it makes sense that the Mishnah wants to leave the drinking to the end, because like, that's the climax, you know? <laughs> so, um, and actually, Actually, that also seemed to be the dominant position. And so here we have, after the discussion of the bringing of the mincha, now we finally have the drinking of the water. So let's take a look at the Mishnah on Davchaf. Um, until the Megillah had been erased Amra um, uh, so we saw this yesterday but here it is in the Mishnah if he says I refuse to drink I'm not saying I'm guilty but I refuse to drink then Megillah Nignezet you would uh, you would put her the Megillah in Gniza meaning you would uh, you know uh, you couldn't destroy it it had God's name on it but you had, couldn't use it again because right because it has to be written for, the, for this particular Sota so you put it in Gniza Rashi sort of says there was like a little a hole somewhere that would be buried, Bitsire or Bitside Haheichal. Okay, so that's where it would be put. Um, there's actually Tosus quotes an interesting Yushalmi, Migilatani Gneza. Tosus says, Yushalmi Tani Nigneza Tachas Tsiro Shoheichal. I'm not exactly sure what the Tsir is. I mean, the Tsir often is the, um, the thing through, like the, uh, the hole in which the door, uh, go, you know, the door peg goes, right? Like the uh, hole at the bottom of the floor is called like the Tsir, or like on the side of the uh, lintel, the door frame, in which the the door rotates on. Um, oh yes, there you go. Shalichal. Now listen to this. Lama bishvil shachaka. Why, in order to like, uh, in order to uh, um, um, uh, not erase it, but like you know, to to to, to like uh, wear it down, right? In order to like rub it down. So that's pretty interesting. That's like a grama on um, you know on on, on Shem Hashem or whatever. I mean, so that yeah, I don't I don't get it. Yeah, that's, I found that very interesting that that's what was done with it. Um, and why would they want to do that? Why not just bury it and keep it buried? Why would they want to wear it away? Anyway, um, and then the. Uh, and then the, it goes on to say, right, water would sort of flow there, and they would also continue to wear it away and dissolve it. So it's not clear to me why they were trying to actually, you know, not directly, but through grama, you know, have it wear away. Um, but anyway, they would, see, they would put it away because it had Shem Hashem. And similarly, the Mincha, once it had gone into the Kli Sharet, um, could not be redeemed and could not be brought out of the Azara. So it would be bur- it literally means scattered on the ashes, but what it means it means be burnt in a place in the Azara where they would burn, um, you know, Korbanot that became Pasul, which was called the uh, Beit Hadeshen. Okay? So, um, 
Alright, so it says, um, and this is why, of course, you have to put it in Genizab. You can't use it for another sota. It has to be written particularly for that sota. So basically, if she says she doesn't drink, you stop the proceedings there as long as the God's name has not been erased. And again, she would then uh, get divorced without a ksuva. Not that she had admitted guilt, but, uh, you know, it's that, uh, because the proceedings are not able to complete, and she's the reason why, she would uh, get divorced without the ksuva. Um, now let's say the Megillah has already been erased and then she says I refuse to drink um, she does not admit guilt if she were to admit guilt at this time you would stop it even though the, the Megillah had been erased but she's not admitting guilt so in that case um, and there we are we erase God's name and now she wants us to not go through with it um, then we're not going to listen you <laughs> sort of you uh, you know you, you rile her up or whatever you know you uh, confuse her and you force her like we, before we mentioned like some type of a of a vise to keep her mouth open and you force her to drink against her will okay because now okay so one way or another if, if she's not allowed once the name is erased she's not allowed to back out so whether we forced her to drink or whether uh, she drank willingly now we're going to deal with the result of the drinking okay um, by the way before we do that um, let, another little Tosvos actually the middle of the previous Tosvos in the end of the first of the wide lines the last of the wide lines he's still quoting the Yerushalmi um, why do you force her to drink because you know because of her she was silent until now we erased God's name we're not going to let that go to waste unless she actually comes out with a full admission now how much Tani, how much of, uh, to, needs to be erased uh, to the point that we now are going to force her and she can't uh, just say, I refuse. So, Tani Rebbe Chani, Bechamayamim Achad, Bechamayamim Stayim. Presume one or two letters. I'm Rebbe Loi, Tani Rebbe Tilal, Kedei Lichtov, Yud Hei. Part of God's name. Now, it sounds like... Does that be the same thing? In other words... Uh, yeah. I mean, actually, Yisra Mechikas could be even if you erase one letter of the shame. Uh, but this is actually... Er- that, so, that's a good so point. You might be over on Mechikas Hashem before you actually erase God's name. Maybe that's Beit Shammai's position. Anyway, it does sound like, from the way this is phrased, that they have to get to God's name, right? Let's say they erased, you know, you, I mean, actually, it's, what does it start with? I guess that was the Machlokas about where you start. But anyway, Yitain Hashem Otach, at least there's the word Yitain beforehand. Let's say they erased the word Yitain before erasing Shem Hashem. It sounds like the Yishami, they would have to get to Shem Hashem. Okay, so you make her, so she drinks, or she was made to drink, and now we get to finally the effect of the water. Let's take a look. And also, and this is... She's supposing we said before, it depends if she's closer at Machmas Biyut or... Yeah, presumably that would matter according to at least that sheet well, of Rebbe Akiva. Well, the yeah, well that was all read into a Rebbe Akiva position. That was, so it's clearly the mission is going to say it. Nimchaka Migila... I'm sorry, we did that. Ainam at Lishtot, she barely had a chance to drink it, meaning it's a way of saying like, right, like right. right after she drank it, instantaneously. Her face would literally like turn green or yellow jaundice. A boltot, her eyes eyes would bug out. That's a technical term. Her face is like, feel like her veins are like, like pronounced out in the, um, or yid can mean sinews, but also probably it could mean like the, the veins. Right. Well, Rashi, I think, says, yeah, it could be the whole body, but Rashi says, in her, you know, in her, in her, in her, in her, in her, in her jaw. 
Gidin. It looks like, you know, her whole uh, face is like filled with these uh, sinews or these, uh, the, the veins are like, you know, popping out, like, you know, popping out. And like her, her whole, you know, her, all of her flesh is like, uh, is like uh, blown up and, um, and uh, like rows of like uh, puffed up, you know, rows. Like these like poles, sticks are like, you know, are like inserted into her. So she's got all these like, you know, you know, ridges uh, coming out of uh, her flesh. Okay. Um, uh, the Hamom Reem, and they say, take her out, that she should not impurify the Azara. So that's where we get the idea. By the way, the mission does not say she dies, but because they're rushing her out so that she's not impurified the Azara, mm-hmm. it, sounds like she she, it sounds like she's about to die, although the Gemara is going to qualify that. So it's interesting. Everybody assumes she blows up and dies, but it's not in the Psukim and it's needed not in this Mishnah. Now again, what is in this Mishnah... <coughs> Is the presumption of guilt? It didn't say im you know, you know, or right? It just tells you naturally. Of course, this is what's going to happen. So again, that presumption of guilt is very interesting in this Mishnah. Um, okay, now. Um, if she had merit, it would uh, hold the punishment in abeyance. Okay. Now, of course, the problem with that is is that then it undermines, uh, you know, then everybody's belief in the efficacy of the water, unless somehow when it actually did kick in, it was clear and everybody said, Ah, I bet that was because of what happened. I mean, unless it was obvious, you know, when it actually kicked in. But there it is. Like if she knows that she committed adultery, and other people know whatever, everybody sees women getting away with it. So that was uh, one of the challenges raised by one of the Tanoim, the whole idea of Zechus Tola. But nevertheless, that's the assumption of the Mishnah. You know, she could have different, um, be meritorious to different degrees, and therefore sometimes it could be one, two, or three years. Or okay. more. Also. I don't know. Well, the Gemara will discuss it. It sounds like the Gemara that this is understood to be Bidafka. We'll okay. see that in the Gemara. Yeah. Oh, that's an interesting question. I mean, could she do tshuva even before the sota period, before she drinks the water? Forget those of course. Right? Well, that's what she does. What? Not regarding with her husband. I mean, I get, but you know, your point is, if you look at it as a type of a divine punishment, then tshuva works. If you look at it as a court ordained punishment, you know, tshuva is irrelevant. There's like a famous uh, response of the Chassam uh, Sofer. Who knows? It might be the note of Yehuda. I think it's the note of Yehuda. He says, let's say I don't know, a guy was found chayiv misa, right? For anything, even if it was Ben Adam Lamakam, you know, Chil Shabbos, who was Adim Hasrach, Chayv Misa, and he sincerely did Shuva before they executed him. He says, "We'll still execute him." Like, <laughs> you know, this is a law for the civil court, you know. And God, if God wants to forgive him, that's God's business. But like. Very important because this, you know the difference between tshuva is something between God and the person, and not between how we relate to the person. We have to do, do you know follow different parameters. Um, I've always felt that that and other things are very important. You know, when somebody basically is caught in a scandal, particularly like a case about sex abuse or things like that, taking advantage of, and then he says like, "Oh, I've done tshuva," and people say, "Oh, well, we're supposed to believe in tshuva." You know, it's like that's that's between him and God, it's not between him and the community. Like that has that requires other standards. 
Um, but anyway, um, but that's so, you're right though, to the degree you see this as just a divine punishment, maybe she wish it work, but as was pointed out, it's also to determine for her husband, you know, and can her husband continue living with her, and, uh, you know, to the degree that this whole thing has been made a court supervised process with witnesses, and, you know, and even the court, remember, they first came to the court, and the court sent her to the Beis HaMikdash, so, you know, it seems like we're seeing this more as a, while we need God's help to make this happen, right, it seems like it's not something that's just between her and God, but an interesting question, right, I mean, yeah, but presumably not, okay, but it will, but it will cause, you know, it's, but I guess your point is, look, if merit suspends it, it does sound like it's just between her and God, and it's a type of a divine punishment, right, because it's out of the control of the court, and, you know, the other question is, as going back to those point, right, which is the next point, which is, okay, they do the procedure, and everything looks hunky-dory, so husband and wife go back to having a marriage, you know, sleeping together, and resuming marital, you know, their marriage, and then two years later, it sounds out that she actually was guilty, right, what does that do for the husband's suspicions, and the fact that he actually, so the whole idea of Zuchustola is very disruptive to this whole idea. On the other hand, one imagines that, you know, if they did this procedure, one wonders how often did it actually <laughs> work, you know, mm-hmm. did she actually, like, blow up, so how do you explain when it's not working and it's supposed to work, right? So the Gemara has all these explanations of why it might not work. If he's not menuka me'avon, if she has zuchus, you know, there's all these things to explain it, yeah, why, yeah, like, why, you know, one wonders if that didn't come up from a period, you know, when that was not having the effect it was supposed to have, yeah. Which brings up the possibility that maybe this is all about getting her back together with her husband and uh, silencing her husband. Right, exactly. But I think it is a good question that I, I wasn't thinking about, you know, that though that you point out, which is that even if the, um, uh, besides the fact that if it doesn't work right away, it'll it'll make, you know, it'll like undermine the peop- uh, it's the reputation of it, you know, and people's belief in its efficacy. Um, also, like, uh, how will, uh, how, you know, how will the husband be able to, res- how will they be able to resume marital relations, right? I mean, if it hasn't really proven anything immediately. If it's like known that it doesn't prove anything immediately, then what are you supposed to do with that? Like, wait two or three years after until you decide whether it was you know what it meant I don't know um, so the Gemara goes on um, the mission goes on thank you Mikan um, Omer Ben Azai from here Ben Azai said Chayav Adam L'Lamin is Pito Torah ah you see She'im Tishke Teidash has a Chus exactly this she's going to drink she's going to think that um, hey I committed adultery and it didn't work it must be this whole thing is a fraud ah but if you teach a Torah and you teach her this halacha that uh, that sometimes zuchus is tola, then she'll understand that it wasn't because the mayim the waters don't work. This actually is part of the system, so she'll understand that she won't. It won't. Well, that's the next line. That's the response. So the first thing is, you know, the more you know, the more you have uh, faith in the system. You understand how things are working. No, it's like you teach her tifut, um, which usually has to mean like uh, sort of. Sexual, it has a sexual connotation. Really? Um, and well, there's a question. How do they translate Corn it? Corn actually translates to promiscuity. Promiscuity. Yeah, that's, that's clear from the next line anyway. I mean, I know that because <coughs> this is taken out of context, it's normally translated as, as each of teachers are, I don't know, like, uh, you know, uh, trivial stuff, right? But that's not true. The context is exactly what Michael said back. It says, well, she, she won't, you know, she, the more you know, the more you understand how the, the system works, the then you have trust in the system, but you also know how to work. 
work the system. You know how to how to you know how to go through the loopholes. So therefore, if you teach her this, then she'll figure out. Hey, I can commit adultery and I can uh, get around it. You know, I'll have zechut etc. Zechut just as tolo. It doesn't totally get her off the hook. But anyway, but you know that's an interesting question, right? A little knowledge is a dangerous thing. Knowledge increases your you know commitment to the uh, whole um, to the system and you know and your personal investment. And at the other hand, once you learn the, once you learn it, you learn how to navigate it. So uh, that's the challenge here. Yeah, this would apply to men as well as women. Not right. not necessary yeah. for uh, promiscuity, but anybody who's been through Nazikin can figure out perfectly technically uh, permissible ways of cheating in business. So that's an interesting question, which is, why the focus on women, right? Mm-hmm. Is it because, well, women were the class that were basically not educated in society, so we're able to sort of like discuss whether it's a good idea or not a good idea, whereas men are fundamentally educated and there's a myth of Talmud Torah, so it doesn't really matter if we feel that there's some like negatives. Actually, you know, Tanan, you were just mentioning the mission Kalim. The mission Kalim, one of the discussions actually spoke about a, a kli in which, um, you know, you could, I think, like, what is it, like hide money or something like that? And Rebbe Akiva says, oil Omer, Omer. Like if you, anyway, if you teach about it, like you maybe somebody could find out this piece of information which they actually could wind up using in a inappropriate way. I mean, this Gemara talks about how call him a lot, you know, Shalolishma, you know, Mutavlo Shalonivra, which is a certain type of a Shalolishma, right, to manipulate the system and so on. So it could be that the exact same issue would be present with men, but what are we going to do? Men are already educated, and there's a mitzvah of them for Talmud Torah. So it doesn't matter if there are negatives, it's not up for debate. What is up for debate? is the issue about women and then we could debate is this a positive or a negative it's sort of like Rav Moshe was asked about doing bat mitzvah ceremonies in shows now of course you all know that like a few decades ago <laughs> yeah, you know bat mitzvahs in shows was like the big battleground for women's issues in the show and so on and very similar to things like today it was sort of seen as you know the symbolism of it I guess because it was in the conservative movement and whatever and so it's like it took on a lot of uh, more weight than it had you know than, it's not really a halachic issue anyway so Rav Moshe says that uh, that he was against bat mitzvah ceremonies in the show. Why? He says, look, he says, you know, I don't think that, you know, I'm against, uh, you know, I'm against uh, this whole phenomenon of like bat mitzvah, bar mitzvah. I think, you know, that, that, you know, guests come and they drive on Shabbos in order to be there. And he says, I've never seen any boy get closer to Torah and mitzvahs as a result of a bar mitzvah ceremony. So, like, I just think this whole thing is a bad idea, so we shouldn't do bat mitzvah ceremonies. So then, of course, the person who wrote back and said, so why are you not against bar mitzvah ceremonies? So, <laughs> so, first of all, he had some, he had an answer to explain the distinction, but he also, but part of the answer was like, I can't do anything about those. Those are already in place. But if you're talking about something new, we can, we can talk about it. So one way, it's a very good question. Why are we only talking about this in terms of women? That's one answer. The other answer might be that the Gemara just thinks that women are more, and I'm not saying Dyke this, like that type of a Dayton Kalos, or that at least might be Rebbe Liezer's position. And like, uh, they cannot, you know, maybe it's a, at least Rebbe Liezer, who's against it, thinks it's something about women, you know, that makes them more, and we'll see the next line in the Mishnah, that will, they're more likely to ab- abuse the knowledge than a man. And let's read the next line of the Mishnah. Well, I know, well, I know, I'll get the other question, but I know I will, well, I, I will take your questions. I'm reading the next line in the Mishnah, mm-hmm. just to show the continuation of that idea that it might be specifically about women. So then it says, 
Rabbi Yoshua Omer wrote to Isha Bikavitifrut, Mitisha Kavimu Prishut. A woman would rather have one measure and be able to have her uh, licentiousness, or what, how, did, how did it translate that? Tifrut? Uh, not licentious, something, what? Uh, promiscuity, would rather, that's a better word, would rather have one measure and be able to have her promiscuity. physical intimacy. All right, then. She calls it sexual relationship. All right. Anyway, something relating to, she'd rather have one measure and more, you know, something like more sex, more sex or something of that nature. Mitisha Kavimu Prishut. From nine, from nine measures, <laughs> from nine measures and having to forego sexual pleasure. Okay, so, but again, but he, whether it's most people or not, I don't know, but that's his approach to women. So basically means women are more inclined to make sacrifices for the sake of, you know, being able to act uh, you know, to have uh, to have sexual pleasure, and therefore we can't trust them. It seems like, and therefore they can't be trusted with this knowledge around issues that they might abuse in order to give them license to go ahead and, and uh, cheat on their husbands. And then the, it ends with saying, "Huaya Omer Chasid Shote, a a stupid Chasid, Virasha Arum, a crafty wicked person, Isha Prusha, a woman who is actually um, uh, uh, again I'm looking for that word, not a setic." But um, she should like separate out from physical pleasures. Um, not uh, yeah, because aesthetic is like an extreme. I think like abstinent maybe. Okay, makut um, and sort of lashes of the of the of the aesthetics. Let's translate as that. These people destroy the world now. What's the matter with Isha Prusha? You just got through saying that Prishut was something that was rare by women and should be something that they should be more, you know, more, you know, you know, more embracing. And also, what's Makot Prushim? So if you look at Rashi, Makot Prushim, Mefarish Begemara Shemaket Atzmo Bektalim Lahar Ochihu Anav Vitzanua. So it's basically like a self-flagellation to show, you know. So it's but basically it's right. Well, right. Meaning it's like it's a type of a perverted or a false righteousness. Okay, somebody is acting in a way that is demonstrating, showing as if they're so righteous, but they actually have lost, missed the boat what real righteousness is. So you got, I don't know how Russia Arum thinks, but you got the Chassid Shota, like he does all these acts that make him, that, that are like he's going to be very firm, but he, he has a lack of basic understanding of real firm kite, you know, people that actually are trying to deceive, or they're deceiving themselves, you know, and they're going and they're doing these things and they really don't have the true righteousness. So Isha Prusha will be interesting in this. But anyway, it's not clear, this is Rebbe Yoshua, it's not Rebbe Eliezer, but that gets to the question about is this because of a certain jaundiced uh, look at women and that's why they're saying that you know don't teach your daughters or is it uh, like I said it's just it's just because it's just because well you know women hadn't been educated so we can more debate whether they should be educated or not now there were questions Charlie yeah, I'm not used to seeing Ben Azai making harassment statements mm-hmm. I don't know. He does. <laughs> He's not a common tonic. Well, that's that's true. Yeah. Wait, so then what would he? So we, I guess what I was going to say. What yeah, that's true. It's also a little more of policy than halacha. Question is even, you know, when the whole issue came up about, well, we'll get to this, I don't want to sort of preempt it, but um, when the whole issue came up about, like, women learning Torah and how, you know, do we paskin like Rabbi Eliezer or do we don't paskin like Rabbi Eliezer and so on, right? Uh, and the Rambam, when he brings it down, says, like, basically says, like, uh, uh, you know, everybody is chayef to learn Torah, man or woman. So Amru Chachamim is not the same as saying that it's Osir, right? It's talking about a certain, like, you know, be, right. 
right, advice or you know direction, guidelines. So yeah, I mean, it's, right, how much is this are, is this last debate a halachic debate or a you know a das Torah type of not really das Torah, but whatever <laughs> Religi- religious guidelines and direction. So we're going to explain what Rabbi Shua have you do. Then yeah, yeah, yeah. And the other is like you know just. I'm just interested in the terminology of Tiflu. Does this use anywhere else? And where? And would it be in a sexual context? Yeah, it is. It is. And I, I, I'll, I'll do. I'll, I'll check it up. We're not going to get to the Gemara on this today. People think it's like you know, oh, fluffery. Because like they're thinking it's a tet as opposed to a tap. Right. That's that tafel. Yeah. Right. Right. Like in the context, it's very clear. It has to do with a sort of a you know, um, um, uh, sexual uh, free, um, free looseness or um, again, what was that word? Promiscuity. I think is a good is a good translation that really is pretty clear from context but people have definitely when all the issues came up you know now we're di- di- debating different w- issues around women but when all the issues came up a few decades ago about women learning Torah and there were all these things written about, about this passage in the Gemara there was like all these analyses done about the whole Tiflut and what it means in different contexts yeah but I can look that up is the impetus of teaching her Torah so that she'll have exclusion so that the effect won't happen immediately or is it that if the effect doesn't happen immediately, she'll know Torah and know that that's still, if she hasn't scanned the system, it's still going to happen eventually? Well, Ben Azai seems to say the latter. He says, Not that it will enable Zuzchus to be Tolala. It's weird, would be weird that Ben Azai would be trying to teach a woman how to avoid the immediate consequences of it. Um, but, you know, but you could ask for Rabbi Eliezer. Is Rabbi Eliezer afraid that the Zuzchus of Talmud Torah itself will get her out of it or did he just say no once you know the system then you'll know how to you know get to the chus and, and you know otherwise but it's still pretty funny because of um, what do you call it because of um, um, uh, because because it's, it only suspends the judgment it doesn't totally get her out of the judgment you know but it also I think it also is worth mentioning and then we have to move on see I was afraid that we're so short today anyway <laughs> um, I think it's also though worth mentioning you know, to what degree does this debate also parallel the whole question about what is the image of a woman that emerges from the previous, from the whole Masechet, right? How much, you know, we've seen different opinions. Is the woman, is it the husband's fault that the woman is cheating? Is the husband just as sort of likely as somebody to commit sexual sin and who we have, the, you know, we're concerned about? Or do you know, do you see it as always like, you know, you know, clearly it's all the woman's fault and it's, you know, and it's the women who cheat, it's not the men that cheat, you know. What type of, like, the whole, obviously from the Torah it all focuses on the cheating woman, but in the, you know, the wife, but in the Gemara, we've seen ways in which the Gemara has refocused, you know, or at least included the, the husband in that picture. So here too, I think it's interesting, in the context of this woman and so on, right, you continue to sort of say, oh, well, a woman's going to look to cheat on her husband, and therefore she can't be taught Torah, and she can't be trusted with Torah, right? So that's like one approach, as the other approach is actually like, you know, um, that women are virtuous, and they'll, uh, you know, and it's worth, it to, and you know, and they'll, they'll want to understand why they, why the water didn't test them you know, you know you want to save them from suspecting the efficacies of the water and it's a good thing to teach them Torah you know so I think it's very interesting right it's not just a debate about Torah there's also the question about how you're looking at the cheating wife and how much are you focusing on her as the sinner and her as the one you know as the women are the problem or do you sort of have a bigger picture about this well, isn't it the, the meaning of this last line when they include Isha Prusha in this, in this list of people yeah. there is no such thing as a woman who doesn't want sex right that's 
basically, yeah. That, that's well, what you did is, I wasn't going to say it. That's exactly what it is. That the Isha Prusha, I wasn't going to say that, but we'll get to the Gemara. But the same as the Makot Prushim. A woman might demonstrate as if she's Prusha, but all women are really just looking to cheat and women looking to have, you know, illicit sex, right? So it definitely seems like that's you know, whatever, different ways you could think about the whole phenomenon of Sota translates into thinking about this issue right here. Okay, let's take a look. What about the idea that they don't mention all of teaching a woman more Torah? She might be less likely to go in these directions. Uh, that's an interesting point. Just the negative. Right, that's a good point too. Right, it might just elevate her character and, you know, and, and right, that's a good, excellent point. Why yeah. I don't know. Let's, uh, let, guys, well, it's coming up tomorrow. <laughs> Thoroughly a guarantee that just because you're uh, um, learning that you're going to be righteous. Right, exactly, exactly. So, all right, let's let's we'll see all about this uh, tomorrow. Let's continue today. I'm Rabbi Yudam Shmuel. I'm When I was learning Torah by Rabbi Kiva, he see matil kanketom So Rabbi Meir was a scribe, and he said I would put this kanketom, which is a particular I don't know ingredient, into the ink, which I will see will make it indelible. And he didn't say anything to me. Because when I went to Rabbi Shmuel to learn, what's your what's your job? I'm a scribe. I'm a what? Well, lavler also can include um, you know for secular documents as well. Um, I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm um, Ali Be very careful because your work is God's work, is heaven's work. He and if you, when you're writing a Sefer Torah, write one less letter, or one more letter, you could destroy the entire world. Okay, because you basically, I mean, it's a little, um, um, hyperbolic. Uh, yeah, hyperbolic. I mean, so you're possible to say for Torah, but if you look at Rashi, Rashi explains why it could be disastrous in terms of the theological <laughs> message. No, but in terms of the theological message, you go in Aleph Vehei, Elohim Emet. So if you take out the Aleph from Emet, okay, you, <laughs> that's pretty bad, okay? Um, I don't know what, uh, what the He is, Elohim or Elim. So if you take out the He from Elohim or, or the Aleph from Emet, you got a pretty bad message, okay? Yeah, or, Elohim. So then it would have that something called Breshit created God. So anyway, one little letter can make a huge difference in terms of, you know, it's sort of like that book that says, like, you know, what is it? Like, um, uh, have you seen this? Or it's a t shirt, I actually think. It's like, let's eat, comma, grandma. And then the other line is, let's eat, grandma. It says, it says punctuation saves lives. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, so uh, you know, one letter can make a big difference. Okay, so okay. Amartilo, I said to him, You know what? I got something. I put into the ink. The kankatum shemo. It's called kankatum. I'm relieved. Who said you could put kankatum into the ink? That you have to be able to erase the gilat sota. I understand. Uh, writing that could be erased. Now, of course, that's about Megillot Sota. Who says it's true about Sefer Torah? We'll see about that in a minute. But first, let's unpack this. My Kamale, my Kamahadale. What did he say to him and what did he respond? Meaning, how does saying the Kankatoma response to not writing an extra letter or not? So, Ella, so here's what he says. Hachi Kamale, this is what he said to him. 
He said back, don't worry, Rabbi Akiva, I know, I know the exact spellings, I'm very careful with chaseros and yaseros, but not only that, I do this extra thing, will make sure that even, though, even after I've written it, nothing bad happens. Like maybe a fly will, lie, will, will land on the letter and smudge it. And it'll sit on the little protruding, um, you know, part of the roof of the Dalit, umachik lay, and the, it will erase it, will smudge that off. Umashri lay reish, will turn a Dalit into a reish. So you, so I am so concerned, not only to get the spelling right, but to, you know, prevent it from smudging after it's been written. And I put this kantadom in it to make sure that it will not smudge and that it will remain indelible. Exactly. Amy, now the Gemara says, okay. So that's the discussion, okay? And Rabbi Akiva says, no, it has to be able to be erasable. Which makes sense, by the way, because not every scribe is as careful as Rebbe Mayer. So just out of good, like, you know, prudence, you want an ink that's erasable. And that happens sometimes. Scrolls, you know, uh, scribes have to go and erase it and rewrite it. And problem is when they make a mistake with Shem Hashem, which can't be erased. But otherwise, the fact that it's erasable, you know, makes it, uh, especially something as large as a Sefer Torah. By the way, another important halacha that makes it possible to fix a Sefer Torah is that it doesn't have to be written Kisidron. Right, imagine if a Sefer Torah had to be written Kisidron, then if you wanted to make a correction, no, you, you couldn't because, because you'd have to go from there on, or you'd have to go find a parchment that had been written before, you know, your Sefer Torah had been written, but even that wouldn't work because then it wouldn't be Kisidron of the, you know. So the fact that it's Shiloh Kisidron, you don't have to write it in order, and that it can be erased. The letters are almost like necessary halakhas for a Sefer Torah because people make mistakes and they do have to be so corrected. you actually write like Devarim before a reparation? Technically, yes. Yes. Okay, so... You were saying that you actually can't have a correct, indelible ink. Correct. But what, what is there so we'll, we will con- let's continue with the Gemara. So first, Gemara says, Amy, is this really true that that was the story? We have a Brisa that has a different version of the story. The Hatanya, we turn the Brisa. I'm a Rebbe Meir, because she see la metera it's a Rebbe Ishmael. When I was only by Rebbe Ishmael, hayisi me itu kan ketom l'toch hadiyah, put kan ketom v'lo amali davai, didn't say anything. So Shabbat yitza Rebbe Akiva, when I came to Rebbe Akiva, asra la, he, made, he, for, he forbade me. So here you have have the reverse. So, of course, the easiest thing to say it's a machlokas of the bright is what the story was, but the Gemara wants to see if it can reconcile it. Kasha shimush shimush, kasha asra asra. So, first of all, we have a contradiction. What order did he, att- did he you know, learn by and um, attend to uh, Rabbi Akiva and Rabbi Shmuel? In one version, it was first Rabbi Akiva and then Rabbi Shmuel. The other version was Rabbi Shmuel and then Rabbi Akiva. And the other problem we have is, who was the one who said it was forbidden? Okay, so the Gemara says, The issue of the who he learned by, you know, who he apprenticed by, is not a difficult um, because we can explain that it, they're both true. Mekar also coming to Rabbi Akiva. He first started learning with Rabbi Akiva. Kiva the Lomati Kamali Bay. He couldn't understand what Rabbi Akiva was getting at. Whoa. So also the Right, this is the Rabbi Meir who nobody else was able to understand what Rabbi Meir was getting at. <laughs> but this was at the beginning of his learning. He couldn't understand Rabbi Akiva. Also the Kamid Rabbi Yishmael. He went to Rabbi Yishmael the Gamar Gemara. And by Rabbi Yishmael, this is again very interesting, also reflecting difference. Not just Rabbi Yishmael was like less uh, on, a, on a demanding level than Rabbi Akiva, but their approach to learning was different. Rabbi Yishmael was much more about the tradition, and Rabbi Akiva was much more about the sort of, you know, int- uh, analysis and the human creativity. So he figured like, you know, I got to learn some of, the, some of the basic information before I can understand what Rabbi Akiva is getting at. So it's always that question also, like, do you first like learn knowledge and then analyze, or do you start and be in, the analysis like right at the beginning so he went by Rabbi Shmuel and he learned the tradition he learned the basic information 
information. And then he went to Rabbi Akiva, and then he learned how to analyze it and break it down and so on. So basically, which order was it? They're both true. It was Rabbi Akiva and then Rabbi Shmuel, but it was also Rabbi Shmuel and then Rabbi Akiva. Okay? Now, but, but, but we do have a problem. Who was the one who said it was forbidden? And who said it was okay? Or who didn't say anything? So he says, all right, Kasha, you're right, that is difficult. All right, which <laughs> basically means that there's a debate in the bright does what happened. Okay, Tanya. So now we, Rabbi, Rabbi Omer, Omer Haya Rabbi Meir, Rabbi Yehuda says, Rabbi Meir used to say, he was not ready to give up his Kankatom. So he said, you can put Kankatom for into ink for all purposes. So I find I accept the, feet, the pushback when it comes to writing Parshat Sota, but nothing else. Now, presumably, Parshat Sota here he means in, in the, the Sefer Torah, which is interesting because, like, since when, like, are you going to scrape this piece out? Whatever the Gemara is going to deal with I that. Guess you could. Okay, maybe you could. The Gemara will deal with it. Rabbi Yaakov Omer Mishmona. Rabbi Yaakov says in the name of Rebbe Meir, Chutzin Parshat Sota Shel Mikdash. That no, he was only prepared to accept the, uh, you know, the correction when it came to writing the real Parshat Sota. That has to be erasable. The other part of the Torah does not. Okay, so my Benayhu, what's their debate about? The debate is whether you can use the Parsha in the Torah. Now, of course... We're going to get to that. Now, of course, the point is, but even if you could use the parsha in the Torah, right, in theory, why, did you, why would you have to write it that way? Like, okay, even if you held, like, you could, you, you, in, you, in theory, you could use the parsha in the Torah, why would it demand being written in a way that was able to be used for that purpose? So, Tosos basically says, that seems to be what we're understanding, that since, let me find the Tosos, uh, I think it's the previous Amud. Anyway... All right, I won't look for it. But basically, it's not just to give you the ability were you to so choose, but since the Torah says, Umacha, you have to erase it, and this Parsha, in theory, could be used as such, there's an understanding that this Parsha has to be written in a way that it itself could serve as the Parsha Tzota. That's the understanding, okay? So that's the debate. Number, if, if In order to say that it requires to be done of Parsha Tzota in the Torah, you have to assume, number one, that in, you, if you wanted to, you could use it, and number two, because it's possible to be used, the Torah would demand that you made it possible to be used and that you wrote it in that way where the ink could be erased. Okay, as opposed to the other position which says, look, you can't use the one in the Torah anyway, this is only a demand when you're actually writing it in the base on Mikdash. Okay, so now the Gemara says, honey tonight, honey tonight. This debate about whether you can use the Parshat Sota written in the Torah connects to the following debate. These Tanayim, the Tanayim Tanayim Brisa. You can't use a Megillah for one woman for another woman. We haven't seen this oh, until wow. now. He says, yes, if you did write it for one woman, so I guess if one woman said, no, I'm not going through with it, according to him, you'd save the Megillah and you'd reuse it for another woman. Okay? Now, um, of course, there is a little bit of a problem, which is also whatever happened to the other position about Rava, that you can't write it before she took the oath. Mm-hmm. Right? So Tosus tries to deal with, a process of this Gemara has completely ignored that. That if you could write it for another woman, you don't have to write it after the oath was taken. But Tosus wants to try to bring that other Gemara in and say, like, so what we're talking about is that both women took the oath, and then you wrote it for one woman and you want to use it for the other. Okay? Or, in the Sefer Torah example, you wrote the Sefer Torah after the woman took the oath. And that's the discussion. But Tosus, anyway, raises this question about, does, does it have to be written after the woman took the oath? 
This, that's what's said earlier by Rava. This Gemara seems to be completely ignoring that question. Okay? So we have this debate about whether if it's written for one woman, it could be written for another. So presumably, the same debate would be if it's written in the Sefer Torah, not for any particular woman, could it be used for a particular woman? So the Gemara, this is always the fun thing about the, you know, the Gemara sort of says, no, 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 we can actually, interestingly, say that the debates are different and the debates could go either way. You could hold one position by Sefer Torah and the opposite position about writing for Rachel to use for Leah. Let's take a look. So the Gemara says, Amara, Amara, Papa, Diamalohi. Nope, maybe they're not the same debate. There, where you can, if you wrote for Rachel, you can't write for Leah. It's been like attached or, you know, for Rachel's purpose. It's been connected to Rachel. It can't be reassigned and reattached to Leah. It specifically is Rachel's Megillah. It can't become Leah's Megillah. There, that's why he says if it's written for one woman, it can't be written for another. Torah, the stomach see, the Torah is written not for any particular woman. It's generic. So maybe if it's written generically, Maybe you can use it for a particular woman, meaning maybe you don't need Lishma, right? There's like, there's like written Lishma or written Lishane somebody else. And then there's the middle case, not for her sake, but not for anybody other's sake. So maybe if you say you can't use Rachel for Leah, it means you can't use somebody written for someone else. But maybe you don't demand Lishma, you know, it could be written generically and you could use the one in the Sefer Torah. So that's one way that somebody who says Rachel can't be used for Leah might still say you could use the one for the Sefer Torah. Or, I could go the reverse. I'm not talking about Yosef, the Amaloi. And here's another way to say that it's not connected. When does Rabbi Achad, Rabbi Yoshaya say that if it's written for Rachel, it could be used for Leah? Because it was written for the purpose of curse. It was written to be used as a Megillat Sota. So he doesn't care Rachel or Leah. What he cares is, is that it's defined as a Megillat Sota. The Torah, the Islamic Siva, the Torah that's written to learn from it, meaning that's not written to serve as a curse, it's written to be a safer Torah. Maybe you can't. So the Gemara very nicely points out that these are compl- there are reasons to argue for and against each case. In one case, it's written specifically for one woman, which would argue it can't be used for the other. On the other hand, it's written to serve as a Megillat Sota. The other case has the, has the positive that it's not written specifically for anyone, and it has the negative that it's not written as a Megillat Sota. So the debate could go either way. Okay, so now the Gemara says like this. Rabbi Yachid, Rabbi Yoshai, now Rabbi Yachid, Rabbi Yoshai, that says that if you wrote it for Rachel, you could use it for Leah. Leis, Leis, Kasev, Legarsis, Yishov, and Imlach, Metzoben, if a man wrote a get for his wife, and he changed his mind, and Metzoben, Iro, and then a, somebody from his own uh, town found him, because it has the name of the town in it, so it has to be the same town. Um, the Amarlo, and said to him, you know what? Hey, you know what? I have the same name as you, and my wife has the same name. Uh, great, let me have this again. I was thinking about divorcing my wife. Yeah. So, <laughs> so basically, a get for Rachel can't be used for Leah, and presumably that's universal. So why is this different? So obviously, who says the answer is? Who said Gitin and Sota have the same halach of how they have to be written? So Ami, you could say no. Hasam, the cost of law, you write it for her. Again, that's written for that woman. But in Lishma. Hacha Nami Asala but here, here, here doesn't it also say you should do it for her. No, but Maya what's doing it? Mechika, the erasing. Maybe it has to be erased for a particular woman. That's what the law is telling you. But it never says it has to be written for a particular woman. Okay, so, 
So it says, no, it says the coin writes the alot, but it doesn't say the cost of law. Okay, so basically we have a very fascinating debate, which we didn't see before, about whether it has to be, you can use it in the Sefer Torah. Is it okay if it's written generically? Number one, A, it's not written for a Sefer, for a, to serve as a curses and Megillat Sotan. It's not written for a particular woman. On the other hand, it's not written for anyone else. Can you use the generic one in the Sefer Torah? And B, can you use one written for Rachel, for Leah, an opinion that actually the writing doesn't matter, it's the erasing that matters. But then again, it is interesting that, you know, this whole, uh, this whole uh, uh, thing that Rabbi Akiva says, in the end of the day, his objection really seemed to be limited to Megillat Sota, and even there was like, okay, so I won't use it for Megillat Sota, or worse, I won't use it for the Megillat Sota in the Torah, if in theory that can serve as Megillat Sota. It sounded though that Rabbi Akiva's objection was broader, that Rabbi Akiva sort of felt like this maybe is revealing on all of, you know, the writing of the Torah, that it has to be this type of a writing. But anyway, the Gemara does not spin that out. The Gemara seems like at most, uh, certainly at most the Rabbi Mayer, only accepted it regarding the Megillat Sota. And aren't these days okay. in Sifre Torah? Yeah, are, are definitely erasable. Oh, well, how, yeah, sure. That's how Sifre is able to correct something. Yeah, that's what it means. Oh, that's what it means? Yeah, as opposed, yeah. To the, as opposed to it gets absorbed into the actual, you know, into the actual cloth itself. Scraping oh, it means it rides on the surface. Okay. Scraping it means it rides on the surface, right? As opposed to being absorbed into the cloth, then you wouldn't be able to. So we do pass like where we see. Well, I, I don't know. It's an interesting question whether the passing will be puzzle or whether we, we just in practice do it because obviously it's the only smart thing to do because you want to be able to correct it, right? So, I, but I'd have to check if we pa- if we might still be practicing. Okay, that's what maybe you know. Like, let's say you can have like the double link, but like you see the cross somewhere. Like, you know. It could be, but then it's uh, that's true. I mean, if you want me to quickly look up, hold on, let me take a look here. Hmm. Right, it's okay. I can do it. Hold on. I was filling Dalit in the round okay, So again, so what you mean by, uh, is, yeah. is, is that, because then it'd be a problem even if you could somehow scrape the ink if it made like a Rosham in it and like seeped into the cloth and that'd be, you couldn't do anything about that, is what you're saying. What? If it's actually seeped into the cloth, you couldn't do anything Correct. about that. Correct. Keta Masa da 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 Okay, da 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 Okay. Right, so maybe the comparison... It's a definite. Right. That's a good point. The comparison of the writing of the Megillat Sota and the writing of the Get, that they're basically a process that one will, if the husband goes through, will definitely end in the severance and the other depends on what's going to happen. That's a nice point, right. Right. Oh, I'm sorry, what are you saying? That ha- I'm saying it's something related to this idea of why... Oh, the erasable means that there's a way in which it doesn't have to be final? The other, it's like it's not a final uh, right. determination. Right, right, right. Yeah. Nice idea. Okay. All right. The Ashbana. Now we get to her face blowing up. Mani, Rabbi Shimini. Now, first we're just saying that it sounds like as soon as she drank it, her shirt, you know, it would have the effect. 
So that's Rabbi Shimon. Amar Maki that's Mincha Vachach Mashke. Right? Sounds like this is nothing because it, that's first the Mincha and then the water. Because if you dra- if you drank and then had to bring the Mincha, the, the assumption is that the water would not have effect until the Mincha was brought. And here it says that the water has effect immediately. The Kamidu will cover Mincha Solo Batile Maya because we know whatever position you hold about the order um, until the Mincha is brought, the water won't be affected. That the mincha makes the, the sin remembered. And remembered usually means a this-worldly consequence, like God is going to do something about that. So therefore, without the mincha, it won't have the effect. So if it has the effect immediately, it must be that the mincha happened beforehand. So the Gemara says, Let's look at the end. If there was a merit, it would suspend it. That's the rabbis who argue on Rabbi Shimon, a different, a different position of Rabbi Shimon. The Rabbi Shimon was the one that objected to this whole idea of Zechus Torah. It undermines the whole efficacy or the whole perceived efficacy of the water. So the Gemara says, what is it? If clearly we're starting with Rebbe Shimon because it says that we're assuming the Mincha came first, but the idea of Zechus Torah is a non-Rebbe Shimon position. So Amr Rebbe Shimon, the Hamani Rebbe Akivahi, fine, it's a third position. The Amr Makrivet Mincha Savachach Mashkeh, we saw brighter that Rebbe Akiva said, Mincha comes before the drinking. But when it comes to the man of Zechus, Savalak Rabbanan, he would hold that it would be Torah. And so this actually says that we had a tradition or there's actually a Sifra that ha- or Sifra that has Rabbi Yekiv explicitly also agreeing to the idea of Zechus Tola. Okay, so fine. And they're not related positions. You could hold Mincha first and also hold like that the idea of Zechus Tola. Okay, Vehem Omim Hotsi'ua. And they said, take her out. So now this is very interesting because everybody assumes that she's going to blow up and die. But, but it didn't say it in the Torah, it didn't say it in the Mishnah. Although you say, well, Tameh sounds like that. Let's see what the Gemara says. My Taima, why do you have to take her out so you shouldn't make things Tameh? Did you Mesa? We're afraid she'll die. Remember, where is she standing? She's standing in Sharniknor, right? Right by the line between Ezus Nashim and Ezus Yisrael. And the Sharniknor itself is considered to not have the Kedusha of Ezus, of, Ezus, of the Azara. It's only Ezus Nashim. So, Ezus Nashim is Machan Elavia, not Machan Eshchina. A dead body is allowed in Machan Elavia. Okay? Remember the Mace Asr Machan Elavia, Vatan Yusan Abraisa. Yeah, can go in somebody who's in contact with a dead body. Not only somebody in contact with a dead body. Even the, the corpse itself. Moshe took the bones of Yosef. With him in his camp. Moshe was in Machan so, why, so what if she would die? It would be in Machan I don't know, maybe the body would fall backwards and into yeah. the Azara. <laughs> maybe. I'm our bias. And it just, then it just should have said, like, stand in a way. That shouldn't have to take what her out. The I mean, like, let's, let's see the Gemara's answer. All right, let's see the Gemara's answer. I'm our I understand. I'm our Shematifros Nida. Ah, no. We're not afraid she'll die. We're afraid that all this will be happening to her body and she's going to stain and be a nida. And a nida is also in Machna because somebody who has a tumor Yotze Megufo can't go in Machna which is why they tell people, I mean, who want to go up to the Temple Mount, um, they tell men to go to the mikvah so that they won't be a Balkari because tumor Yotze Megufo is also in Machna And women, I assume they advise women to make sure that they're not nidas. Okay, so that's the problem. Let's get to the end of this point and then you can ask the questions. So the Gemara says, 
So, but, but notice, now that that's the problem, we're not saying she's going to die. We're not necessarily saying she's going to die. We're afraid she's going to be a neither. Lemeimra, lemeimra de You mean to tell me that fear causes the uh, bo- you know the, the the body to like uh, um, uh, loosen? You know, like the, like like the, so it's not holding back the blood. It's like it's loosening and the blood is flowing. In yes, dechiv vatit chachal hamakar. Esther trembled. Maod v'amarav she appears a nida. The trembling and she became a nida. So you see that the trembling and the fear caused her to become a nida. One minute though, we have a Mishnah that says that if a woman is hiding in a cave and she's afraid of like that there are bandits out there or whatever, that she doesn't have to be afraid even when her, her, the time of her period comes, she doesn't have to be afraid that she bled because being in the state of fear keeps her from becoming a nida, keeps her from bleeding. So which is it? Does it fear cause, prevent bleeding or does it cause it? So the Mishnah says, Pachtat Samis. Fear sort of uh, shrivels up, like tightens, prevents the bleeding. The Asusa, which is um, like sudden shock, I guess would be maybe a translation, Barafia, that loosens. So the way sort of Rashi explains it is that, is that Pachta is like anxiety and it's something that, you know, you, you've been worrying about for a long time. It's not like a sudden, you know, it's not shock, essentially. It's like, it's like a fear that doesn't come suddenly. Whereas a, a fear that has ceases you suddenly, that causes you to, to loosen and to bleed and Really, that's the concern that she'll become a nida. Charlie, you had a question? No? Uh, yeah, so I, I shared a lot of this before, but a woman who becomes a nida could hold off the SOTA procedure definitely by just not going to the mitzvah. <laughs> That's a good point, right? That's a good point. So they can't bring her into the base of mikdash. All right, that's a good point. I don't know if that would be any different from her just saying Amy Shota, which uh, you know, if that's the way you're going to be, fine. Then just get to get and be done with it. Yeah. So we take those and I thought we really need. We don't want her to be Anita, and then as the result, sort of like you know. Right. I mean, that's another interesting point. The concept of Titmaha Azara, like the Azara itself, doesn't really become Tamei, right? The per- a person who is Tamei is forbidden, and when they enter it in, they violate the, you know. They transgress, but there definitely is an idea that the sense of the kedusha being violated, right? I mean, think about the whole avodas yomakipurim is to cleanse it from mitumot bnei Israel. Now, that's probably more tumah caused by sin, but nevertheless, right? You don't want things. It's, the reason a tummy person is forbidden to go is because there's a violation of the kedusha by having this tummy thing in the, uh, you know, in the holy grounds. But I was going to point out this is, you know. Clean. Uh, Consonants with other accounts of like the headings, where like you know the guillotine, yeah. like those days, where actually a whole bunch of bodily fluids discharge. Ah, uh-huh. this is like the same idea. Like, right, execution will cause bodily fluids. Right, fluid. I mean I think that that's true. Like you know, that, yeah, that, that's definitely true that the body like vacates its fluids mm-hmm. like a particularly in um you know like, uh, that kind of an assault. Though. Right, exactly, exactly. Okay, so Yeshua Zechus, let's just read now, starting about the Zechus being Tola. Uh, Mani Masnisin, who's our Mishnah? Because our Mishnah says one, two, or three years. Lo Abi Yossi ben Hanan, v'lo Rabbi Eliezer ben Yitzchak, ish kfar darom, v'lo Rabbi Ishmael, there you are, tell you, we're worrying about obscure Tanayim, how about these, except for Abishwa. The time is on Brisa. In Yeshua Zechus Tola la Shlosha Chadashim, no, at most three months, Today, Hakar Saubar, Diva Rabbi Abiyosi ben Hanan. Because apparently he reads the Pasuk, the Intorahi, the Nikhsavaniz Razara, the Tahorahi is not only if she's Tahorah, but if she is somehow meritorious for another reason, she will be cleansed until the time when Veniz Razara, which doesn't mean a child is conceived, but when a conceived child would be visible. Okay? So she'll be cleansed if she's Tahorah, if she is somehow meritorious, it will be held off for this period of time. Okay? At least it was three months 
then, you know, it's more, it doesn't, again, like, make the uh, efficacy suspect in people's eyes. Three months, you can, you know, check, you'll, you'll still remember and check back in. Um, no. Similar idea of Nisra Zara, but Zara means until the time it takes for a child to be born. That's how long it'll hold it off. The uh, seed that shall serve him will tell. A seed that is, you know, uh, that is fit to, to, to speak. So I don't know. Well, it, years. I know. It's not when he's just born. Anyway, somehow, means it'll be held off until the time that either a Zara could be visible, you know, could be seen that a woman is pregnant, or that could be born. That's how long it'll be held off. 12 months. Even though there's not a proof, there's a hint to this that that merit causes a punishment to be held back for 12 months. It says by Daniel, the prophet, he gives Nebuchadnezzar, um, Therefore, King let my advice find favor in your eyes, because Nebuchadnezzar had this dream or whatever, and it, it resulted in the fact that he wound up like uh, um, going uh, like uh, you know in nature, whatever, going like why you know uh, amongst like nature amongst the animals for like a period of time so he called Daniel in and he said let my thing find favor in your eyes um, um, let your sin be redeemed through uh through, uh, through righteousness or through charity and your iniquity through, uh, through uh, kindness or generosity to the poor and that way there will be a um, you know a length to your uh, pe- you know your, your, uh, uh, your well-being and your, your, uh, your tranquility will extend your peace will extend succeed all these things occurred to ha- happen to Nebuchadnezzar the king. Um, after twelve months, so he basically he followed Daniel's advice. He did all these righteous acts and it forestalled the uh, the punishment for a year. So you see, merit forestalls for a year. So okay, so we have all these different opinions, but none of them say three years. So the Gemara says, Yes, it's Rabbi Shmuel, but there's a pasuk that actually you. Uses, it uses it as a multiplier because it says right so three times is understood for three sins you hold back so for each sin you could hold back you know mm-hmm. a year somehow means you could hold back three years mm-hmm. I, don't three times. I guess <laughs> what it means even though it's not a proof it's a hint it says no, maybe God is slower to punish the non-Jews you know maybe the Jews God you know because God's more exacting with the Jews so just because he takes a year for them you can't say or two years or three years you can't say he'll take the same for us now I want to just say one important thing about this which is we shifted from a specific dynamic with a sota of Zara that's a chustola to make this much more generic thing about somebody deserves a punishment their merit can hold them back which has again something nice to it in terms of like not making this woman like special like we all sin and you know and uh, we do and you know we believe God will punish us for our sins you know and merit can hold forestall that punishment so this is just like anybody else who you know who sins 
might uh, I think I think it like downplays the hyper focus on this you know adulterous woman and she, she's the type of person that sins and gets punished and nobody else right it now makes it much more um, you know much more generic but it also does go back to David's point which is you know it also switches it as a type of a divine punishment as opposed to a court proceedings case to help her determine whether she can go back to her husband right and really just makes it almost like between her and God and therefore your question well Shuva should do the best at forestalling it right that's not being discussed so you're right it's bringing us away from that very much almost like court proceeding type of way to making it like just her and God and some divinely deserved punishment so we'll see more about all of this tomorrow